0: Our motivation tends to be comfort-based. So, having a goal, we can point our motivation, the desire for comfort, toward it, instead of not getting on the climb and just staying in our comfort zone on the ground. <laughs> then, <laughs> right? And then That's when we're a good on, one. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, it's what can happen if we don't yeah. have inspiring goals. Sure. Now, once we step off the ground onto the rock we value the work that we're doing for its own sake okay we we in other words we blend with the rock using looking for the easiest way to climb going toward something inspiring
2: hello and welcome friends to the creativity spirituality and making a buck podcast with david nickturn on the be here now network my name is michael cammers your host, and one of David's students. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and we hope this podcast finds you as well as can be. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. As the title suggests, we discuss how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, primarily mindfulness and Buddha Dharma, creative expression, and right livelihood. Our guide, David Nickturn, is a senior Buddhist teacher, successful musician, Emmy-nominated composer, author, and entrepreneur who currently heads Dharma Moon, a mindfulness-based education platform and global community. You can connect with us at dharmamoon.com to find out more about our upcoming and current programming. All right, enough setting of the table. Let's get to this week's offering. Welcome to episode number 24, The Rock Warrior's Way with Arno Ilgner. Arno is a legendary climber, author, and teacher. Arno distinguished himself as a pioneering rock climber in the 70s and 80s when the top climbs were bold and dangerous first descents. Through his personal exploits, along with his study and practice of mental training and the great warrior traditions, Ilgner formalized his methods into the rock warrior's way, penned a book of the same name, and in 1995, founded the Desiderata Institute, where he has helped generations of students learn to sharpen their awareness, focus their attention, and understand their life challenges with his method. You can find out more about Arno at his website, warriorsway.com. We are really excited to share this episode with you as David and Arno are quite aligned in a number of ways, which led to a very rich, grounded, and compelling conversation. But prepare yourself, folks. This one's a slow burn. It unfolds slowly. So, clear the floor, turn the lights down, and prepare yourself for a slow dance between two masters. On with the show.
1: Arna. welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you with us.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you inviting me, David.
1: I feel like we've um, uncovered a treasure for everybody out there, and um, I've been reading your book and one of the common threads, as as we talked about, is the image or notion of a warrior, mm-hmm. which seems to connect your practice. Um, is it okay if I call it a practice what you do?
0: Sure, a practice or a method. I like practice actually because it's more engaging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. that's important.
1: And and it's you, you called it the Rock Warrior's Way, right? Which is interesting. Is um is it possible for somebody who doesn't climb to be a part a practitioner of the Rock Warrior's Way?
0: Yeah. So, uh, a couple of distinctions, uh, the rock warriors way is name of the book. Uh, the warrior's way is, uh, the method that, uh, or the practice that we teach. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of background I think is un- helpful and important. So I began developing this practice in the mid nineties, you know, in a medium that I understood, which was climbing. So, you know, test doing research. You know, reading various books like trunk trunk plus books. You know, and and others. Uh, really researching widely, but then looking at how to um, apply that in in climbing, which really was kind of a mirrors like reflected what was working, what was not working, and uh, climbing uh, was like a really tangible metaphor for being able to understand concepts that make up. You know, mental training, so that uh, we can then bridge it to becoming better climbers, but also to be, you know living our lives more intentionally.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's um, clearly a well, for lack of a better word, mental component to the training.
0: Uh, well, it's you might say, well, it is mental training. Mm. You know, but we need to make a distinction, and that is that with You can approach mental training in a lot of different ways. One is more thinking based, like focusing on improving our cognitive thinking. Uh, Another is more awareness based, you know, where you're working with awareness, directing attention. And another includes body awareness. Like we're not just working with the mind, but we're actually finding a way to work through the body to create a more focused and intentional mind. So the warrior's way uses all of these approaches, you know? So in other words, we, we have a mind, we have a body that we utilize to interact in the world Uh, at foundation though, is this field of awareness that um, that, that mind and body sort of exists in.
1: Yeah. Field of awareness. Yeah. Is, is it without, does it have a center? Uh,
0: we think it does <laughs> right, right here behind our eyes, you know, looking out, you know, but uh, uh, you know, as we, you know, anyone that does more self inquiry work, will you know, asking like, who am I, et cetera will soon realize that the boundary between self and other is like really fuzzy. And when you start looking for yourself, you can't find yourself. Mm. We're like a center, like you're saying.
1: Yeah. Um, so why, you know, people ask this and as you know, Buddhism doesn't really answer this question exactly. Why, <laughs> why are we so confused?
0: Why are we so confused? Uh, I, I think uh, you know one. There are probably a lot of reasons, but there's one main uh, continuum, you might say, that I think really exacerbates the, the, our confusion, and that is, you know, continuum form from our sense of separateness to connectedness. Mm. You know, it's like uh, we have our individual egos that really creates kind of a an illusion of separateness from the world around us. And we, um, the, our ego creates like um, identifications with external events, you know, getting a sense of validation, importance, which is all really just an illusion that we sort of create around ourselves. When we when we really start doing mental training and self-inquiry work, uh, we start shifting toward a more accurate representation of reality where we see the interconnectedness of the world. In other words, we can't do anything in isolation, even breathing, we have to participate with air. Uh, And at a more profound level, we exist in relationships with the world around us or the people, nature, and so forth.
1: Yeah. And in recognizing that interdependence, is there some kind of relief, do you think, or expansion, or peace? Or how would you describe the experience of moving from that sense of a cloistered self to inter- recognition of interdependence? Is there some kind of vibe or feeling that goes along with that? Uh,
0: what, what I've experienced, and you know, what um, you know, our students tend to experience it is more a feeling of peace. Which is really important because um, we need to be able to find peace in the middle of a changing, uh, you know, constantly evolving and changing world. You know, life is kind of moving forward. It's uh, constantly changing. And really the, the main warrior quality that we teach is trusting in how life is unfolding. So when we see our reality, like see ourselves as this more interconnected in relationships with the world around us, then we're actually able to kind of, you might say, flow with the, the changing nature of situations. And so that does give us a more peace, you know, during the process, but it also helps us be more effective and enjoy it as it's unfolding, you know, more profoundly.
1: You know, I'm curious. It's uh, and and forgive me. I don't. I didn't know much about Raclami before I met Melissa Mattern, who's our executive yeah. producer, who's a student of yours, and uh, she uses the metaphors quite a bit when we we're talking about our business,
3: yes.
1: our, our Tama Moon platform, and trying to organize things. So, um, is it is there a group element to it when you when you all go out there? Are you interdependently? Are you depending on each other for safety, for progress, for for Achievement, is is there a group element? Uh,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be important for the listeners to kind of understand a little bit about how climbing is constructed. Uh, You know, maybe a lot of the listeners have seen the documentary with Alex Honnold free soloing El Capitan, you know, a, a year or two ago. Well, climbing is generally not a solo activity. You know, it's a partnership, generally a partnership of two people, although it could be a group, you know, if they're going on an expedition to the Himalayas or something. But uh, generally, it's like two partners. They go together. One person will be lead climbing, like tying into a rope, climbing up the rock, putting in protection pieces as the belayer, the person that's on the ground, keeps the rope secure And feeds it out gradually as the climber is climbing. So that if the climber falls, then the layer on the ground can arrest the fall. So they they really need to have a strong trusting relationship. They need to build that through the experience of... of, um, Well, through the experience that they actually can trust each other. Like the trust needs to be grounded in the experience that they catch... And keep each other safe.
1: Gee, it sounds like a great format for marriage counseling. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> Couples
0: um, <laughs> I have have not. Not, not <laughs> other kind of counseling, maybe.
1: But yeah. Uh, so the the person uh, on the ground is your your life is in their hands.
0: Absolutely, and wow. you know sometimes uh, that uh, Blair on the ground will make a mistake, uh, you know, and so when we when two people go as a partnership into climbing it's a dangerous activity you know it, not that you shouldn't do it but it it cre- it holds some very tangible consequences and so that's one of the beauties of the metaphor is uh, climbers can go climbing and they can decide that the uh, the degree of risk that they want to take based on like how much protection points they put into the rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's very actively engaging their attention, their awareness uh, and how they experience each other in that partnership.
1: You know, it has, as I'm reading your book, the, the metaphoric dimension of it is bordering on overwhelmingly um provocative because Mm -hmm. it it just like it's a metaphor for a relationship it's a metaphor for doing business building something Um, and of course the lurking metaphor is for understanding impermanence and uh, and where how to how to build a relationship to awareness and attention against without with an unflagging respect for the notion that none of it is anything you can hold on to it's kind of a it's, it's almost a dream metaphor I could see I, I could see people climbing in their dreams and and have do, do you dream ever about it
0: uh, yes yes I wake up with my hands sweating because that typically what happens even when i'm just visualizing climbing or getting ready to climb that's why I, climbers tend to use chalk on their hands to to dry them. But yeah, I I dream about it sometimes and uh, it makes my hands sweat.
1: Wow. So yeah, there's a, um, of course, you know, some of the practices that we talk about use visualization, you know, in the the Buddhist uh, uh, practices. And it's acknowledged to be kind of your imagination is being uh, uh, rigged up, but to connect with aspects of reality in a different way, but you are using your imagination. So you know we might visualize deities of different kinds that have different qualities, fearlessness or or compassion, um, and you're tapping into the energy through the through the visual imagination and, and also sound. Um, so, do you encourage people to visualize before they climb the face?
0: Yes, and uh, it, it's actually. You know, a combination of visualization and, and imagination, or imaging, you know, where we include more than just a visual sense. You know, so in other words, you know, the typical visualization that climbers and probably a lot of athletes use is, you know, they can close their eyes and they can feel themselves going through the individual climbing moves. Uh, they can also do it more in third person where they're sort of standing back and they're seeing themselves climbing on the rock, going through the specific sequences that they have memorized because they've been on it before. Uh, but if we can also include like, uh, like a feeling sense, like what, uh-huh. is, like, uh, what does it feel like? In my, like imagine grabbing a particular hole. Because when we get familiar with the climb, we get intimately familiar with it, like how big is the hole that I'm grabbing with my right hand at 10 feet up on the wall, you know, and what does it feel like? It might be sharp, it might be smooth, uh, it might be just uh, one digit deep, or it might be my whole hand is on it. So we include that real kinesthetic feeling element. And we can also include auditory, like uh, uh, our belay partner, uh, coaching us from the ground. Remember to breathe, relax, Arno, you know, things like this. Makes the visualization and more complete, more real.
1: Yeah. Um, of course, then when you're engaging the physical reality of it, there's another level um, of engagement, right? There's, there's something different about it. Even if you have a great imagination, you can visualize ex- kinesthetically the whole experience. Now you're on the rock, there's some extra edge, is, is there not?
0: Well, there's uh, you, you gain value from doing the visualization when you do go on the rock and actually uh, do the climbing the actual climbing. Uh, I mean, there have been a lot of studies done about the value of visualization, you know, people doing basketball, three free throws and so forth but when uh when you actually you know like visualization is not a substitute for getting on the rock and sh- demonstrating that you can go through that experience and uh take your body and mind through it like have the physical strength and using your energy efficiently you know to do the climbing if that's the physical component but also having the the mental. Um, attributes for being able to stay focused, keep your attention in a moment, maintain awareness of the risks that you're taking, making appropriate risk decisions. All of this needs to come together, you know, to create, well, to to sort of validate that you can do what you had visualized before or what you might have practiced before.
1: Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about the warrior tradition, which is once you tap into it, obviously there's so many different uh, manifestations of it around the world. And one of the things that Trungpa Rinpoche uh, brought along with his classical Buddhist teachings were uh, a warrior tradition that um, emanated from the metaphorical and maybe actual dimension of Shambhala, um, which many people have access to from, from different cultures. And he was very global in his perception of the warrior tradition. So he was saying it you know, it isn't specifically Tibetan, it isn't specifically cultural. Uh, And myself, I've kind of gone around the world. I teach around the world a lot. I've spent a lot of time in Japan, for example. And of course they have a tremendous warrior tradition there. Mm -hmm. Um, My partner in the, we have a meditation studio there called True Nature. And he's like, he comes from a thousand year old samurai family. It's just an ordinary thing, but he can track his ancestry back to a thousand years. Of uh, and they're all samurai. Wow! And now he's living, you know, just ordinary life in the modern Japan, which is um, has infused flavors of that, but maybe you know the the actual it's not in the front burner. You know, it's sort of in the back burner in terms of the culture. Right. Um, so uh, the a couple of things just to vet in in drunk is uh, description of warriors, fear is an, is an important element of becoming a warrior is facing fear or experiencing fear properly. Um, and the other is gentleness. So there's what's called the father lineage and the mother lineage and fearlessness and gentleness are the two uh, kind of threads. And the third one might be curiosity or inquisitiveness, just being open. Mm-hmm. So fear is... Uh, I. I mentioned to you earlier we we just did a course on smile at fear, which is one of his books about the warrior tradition. And uh, how, how does fear play into your notion of warriorship? And then I'd also like to go with gentleness and see how that that correlates sure. too. Yeah.
0: Um, well, first of all, uh, we tend to think of like uh, divide emotions into positive and negative, and. I don't see anything wrong with that as long as we don't look at the negative emotions as being ones we shouldn't have and just cling you know to the positive emotions. But fear is a natural, needed emotion. It's what we what we experience to to survive. so uh it's necessary. Uh, and <clears throat> a lot of you know climbers come to our clinics. Wanting to get over a certain fear. Let, let's say fear of falling is one of the most tangible ones. Hmm. You know, it's like, obviously, if, if we're climbing and we fall, we could get injured, you know, and there are like uh, physical fears around that. Like um, uh, fe- what I mean by that is there we have a fear of a physical injury happening, but there are also mental f- Fears, psychological fears that come up, like fear of failure, uh, and also fears that originate from just our imagination. You know, in not, in not a helpful way, like we we imagine that physical injury, or we imagine that damage to our psychology, our identity from that failure, and magnify it more than it really is. So students come into our our courses with fears like that, that we help them, uh, while well, we help them face those fears and work through them, underlying you know, the instruction though, is a shift in their motivation, or at least a shift in their primary motivation. So um, the way I phrased it a moment ago is like, students come into our clinics wanting to get over a fear. Okay, so it's so this is kind of an achievement. I want to be comfortable and not go through this fear kind of a motivation or mindset. So when we take them through like uh, little steps, little incremental steps for falling practice uh, from their own experience, they know now that they can't jump over it. They can't get around it. They have to find a way to go through it. And we give them a very tangible way to do that, you know, small steps. And what exactly do they need to pay attention to so that they can be like turn that that uh, the falling that they're doing into a skill, not something to avoid, but something to embrace and work through. So so fear, you know, is something necessary. And we can find a way to work with it in a very effective way in you know with the material.
1: So people have breakthroughs other than directly related to the fear of climbing. In other words, they might have self-image issues that they're breaking through, emotional blockages. Does that happen fairly regularly in your in your courses?
0: Yeah, the uh, emotional breakthroughs is probably a little more tricky. Because um, their response to like long ingrained patterns that will probably require, you know, longer time to kind of uh, reveal what's causing them, what's bringing them up and working through that. Um, but, you know, mental training uh, that, that we do, that uh, others do, it reveals what's inside. And it's like you start inquiring like what what's in here and you find out you know and you, and sometimes you find out things that you don't necessarily like, but um, we can start working with liking it as much as we can or at least changing how we how we view it like seeing it as like what is the opportunity that we can? Uh, learn and draw from what's being revealed so that we can, you know, expand our awareness and become, you know, you might say more authentic human beings.
1: Well, that's kind of a noble as a vision statement for your, the work you're doing become more authentic human beings. That's, that's pretty powerful. That puts you in a, um, a, a, kind of classical role as a spiritual teacher in a way. People, you know what I mean? You're not just imparting a skill. People must be looking at you as, uh, as a mentor um, beyond that, no?
0: It, um, I mean, when, when I first started this, David, I, um, I wasn't so much interested in, you know, creating top-level climbing competitors.
3: Mm-hmm. Like we
0: just had climbing the Olympics. That's excellent, you know, and I'd like Warrior's Way to be a part of that. At the same time, I want to be able to take people beyond that and uh, find out more about who they are and how they can uh, be more uh, effective as a part in society and in our world. And that requires digging into our own psychology, finding out our strengths and weaknesses and being okay with what we find and working with it.
1: Yeah, you know, and presenting meditation these days, is very tricky because uh, it got bagged, so to speak, by um, well, you know, um, Rimtey talked about spiritual materialism. It got bagged by this is going to have a good outcome for you. You're going to be more peaceful. You'll sleep better. You'll do better work at your job, which is a lot different than saying <clears throat> you may not like what you find. Yeah, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that if you if you really go in or Um, you know, that it might be irritating or boring or um, uh, so, so the way I think it's in alignment, but the way that I've been talking about a lot lately is um, it's related to shamatha practice, which is the mindfulness practice actually is paying attention to something. So as you're saying the art of attention or focus, Mm -hmm. but there's a second element to, uh, to, classical dharma practice which is called vipassana which is more insight or discovery so i call it focus and discovery and the focus piece has come in strongly into the mainstream people are using it to focus the mind but the notion that then your mind is like uh if your mind's a camera that the tripod is steady and now you can see so the vipassana element is sort of seen clearly it means clear seeing Mm -hmm. um and then as you said it might be um a moment of discovery and discovery does not mean just things that th- being the way that you wish they were yeah, right down to the, the core. The right?
0: It's like the opposite, really, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's like the opposite really. And and I'll give you an example, like um, what's really in, in, in a kind of work that I think we both do right now is the importance of self-compassion, vulnerability, and humility. Like seeing these as strengths, not weaknesses. Now we can tend to have a mental conception of those that's directly the opposite. We see them as weaknesses Mm
3: -hmm.
0: until we start practicing self-compassion, humility, And what was the other one? Vulnerability. Uh (laughs) You know, when we start practicing that, you know, when, in other words, when we're self-compassionate, it's actually keeps us committed better than self-criticism. You know, Kelly McGonigal in her book, The Willpower Instinct, based on scientific research, proves that. Demonstrates that that is a better way of being oriented if you want to be effective, effective in life. It's a strength. Uh, vulnerability allows us to lower our defenses and actually stay connected in difficult situations so we can uh, share. You know, it's like we're not putting up a wall, keep the walls down so we can actually express ourselves and also listen to other people. Mm-hmm. That is an absolute strength when we're looking at the, uh, building strong relationships. And humility, like see, being able to see each other eye to eye as equals. Uh, and you know we can think humility is like i have to lower my eyes my gaze you know and be obedient to someone else no a a true understanding of humility is equal representation in how we're interacting with each other these are strengths that actually help us live more effective and joyful lives You know, I'll give you a climbing example also, okay? Uh, Students, uh, when we take them through falling practice, we instruct them to, as they're falling, to look down toward the ground. And before they do it, they think, oh, that's going to make me more afraid. Mm. And what they experience when we coach them to do that is that it's exactly the opposite. It makes them less afraid. Mm. And why is that? Well, because if they're not looking down, their mind still wants to know certainty. It wants to know, like, what's going to happen. It has to anticipate reality so that it can kind of help you survive. And so it'll create these images that are, you know, either blown out of proportion or they're not. They're, they're, they're either less serious or more serious than they really, than the real situation is. Well, when they when they focus uh, their eyes down, they direct their attention there and they're sort of facing their fears face to face with it, looking down into it. And their attention is directed toward the real situation, not the images that they have in their mind.
3: Sure.
0: So in other words, they start out with exactly 180 degree different understanding of reality than what reality is.
1: So you know, we teach meditation with the eyes open, and I would Mm -hmm. say in the FAQ world of teaching meditation, that's probably the number one. I'm used to meditating with my eyes closed, and I I call it the secret garden. People want to go into an inner space that's peaceful and tranquil, and they're so uh, horny to get there. You know, and and um, the idea of just being present with your space, the way it is, and using that as the ground, um, is is exactly the same thing. It's almost anything's better than your imagination. <laughs> you know, you because imagination, if it's good, is going to lead to disappointment. If it's bad, it's going to torture you. So, you know, I guess the the choice is just working with things. In a, in a very direct way. And we also say the sense perceptions are kind of the gate to the wakeful wakeful state. So in some spiritual traditions, they say, no, you got to shut down the sense perceptions uh, so that you can experience some kind of tranquility that's um, that they're distracting you from. But in vajrayana Buddhism, we say that the, the sense perceptions are pure perception. Without the narrative, you're actually just experiencing reality very directly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So now, we're not on the side of a rock face when we're doing that. So that adds an interesting spice to it from my point of view and uh, to stay awake in that situation, your projections are going to come on harder and faster. I would think whatever fear you have or uh, uh, overlays on the situation are going to attack, right? They're going to come at you. Uh,
0: They can. Yes. Uh, But see, uh, well, therein lies the challenge, you know, to provide tools that, Mm climbers can actually use and that, you know, people in regular life can also utilize. So, um, just the, the short of it, you know, in in how we navigate that, what you just described is we break the climbing experience into two parts, stopping and moving. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Just think about like, um, a 24 hour day, we stop at night to sleep to recover energy during the day we're awake to apply our energy. It's just a similar kind of cycle on climbing. You need to stop in places where you can put in protection points to keep yourself safe, rest, and think about the next section
3: mm-hmm. so
0: you can make an appropriate risk decision. So uh, then when that is finished, then we can start climbing and work our way through to the next stopping point. Now, a really important thing occurs in this cyclical nature of it in how we use our attention. When we're stopped, yeah, we're focusing our attention in the body to rest, but when we need to do our cognitive thinking, we shift attention into the mind to think about the risk. We need to think about where is the end of it? What's the consequence for going there? Like looking down at the fall, what's my plan? So I increase my chances of arriving at the next stop at the end of the risk and not have the fall manifest itself. Now to climb, we we can't keep our attention in the mind. We have to do a transition, exhale and commit to focusing attention somatically in the body. Breathing, relaxing, eye contact on the holes that we're grabbing and stepping on, you know, continuous movement. It's like it's more feeling based and sensory based. So we're in a sense, we're projecting our attention out of the thinking mind and into the body to do what needs to be done. Then when we arrive at the next stopping point, we can focus on resting, shift attention back into the mind and think about what we need to think about.
1: Yeah, m- moving and stillness. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So you consciously navigate that those two aspects.
0: Consciously and intentionally, we we look at intention as attention focused in the direction of a choice. Right. So when we stop, we're intentional because we're choosing to focus our attention in the direction of cognitive thinking.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Put that attention in the mind. Think about these three specific things that will help you gather information that's relevant for the real challenge you're facing, the risk. Then when you decide that when you exhale and start climbing, we're being intentional because we're choosing to focus our attention in the direction of the body. Breathing, continuous movement, staying as relaxed as we can, and maintaining eye contact on the holes so we can stay in the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you know you have hands like a conductor. Has anybody ever told I you knew. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's just a kind of like um, um, way of synchronizing a whole bunch of experience through just physical gestures. You know, mm-hmm. people. I'm sure people are learning a lot just by watching you. I'm sort of a little sad. This is going to be audio only because of that reason. <laughs> but maybe we'll maybe we'll get a chance to use the video too. Yeah. And also there's light coming out of your hands. It's, it's, it's a bit of a mirage because you're when you can see if you put your yeah. hands up, it's yeah, you see the light, the it's yeah. coming through the window. <laughs> but it looks like your hands are radiating light. Yeah. So it's quite, quite beautiful, actually. Um, <clears throat> what is your life like these days? I mean, are you, are you full bore into, into what you're doing? Do you take time for yourself or other pursuits? Uh, you know, How how do you view this time in your life in relation to work and and doing your work Mm -hmm. and and helping others and so forth?
0: Uh, Yeah, great question. This is a a really important time in my life and career, uh, specifically because when I first started, I started researching about mental training in 1990. And in 1995, I, I made a decision to uh begin figuring out how i could teach a mental training program for climbers and like i said earlier like i i wanted to prove the material in a medium i understood which was climbing but from the very beginning i i knew that the material was went well beyond climbing and i i knew that sometime in the future i'm going to write a book on this material for the general public and and start bridging to you know, I was going to say normal people, but people that aren't climbers, you know, that yeah. are, uh, have other activities that they do, they can bridge it to parenting, to relationships, to business. And I've, I've written that book now over the, during the pandemic. Uh, oh, I started like, uh, March of 2020 and, uh, in July, you know, just uh, last month finished the first draft. So So I'm just really pleased that what I in the very beginning, what I wanted to do, I have now at least uh, engaged the process. There's still a lot of work to do, but uh, having the first draft, uh, being able to write the material, like finding my voice for how I want to present it and and putting it together in a comprehensively in a way that I feel is going to be interesting for the reader. I'm there. And so also in the business, you know, I'm building a team, you know, to help, um, make the material available more broadly. Like right now we have, um, uh, 15 trainers, some are abroad. Uh, and so this really important time for me right now in my life, you know, and, and the business because of all of these different aspects of it.
1: So you're spreading out wider at this point, rather than pulling, pulling in. Yes. You're manifesting, you know, the kind of full wave of what you've put together and putting it out there and crossing over into a, into a sort of audience beyond just the people who are interested in the, in the actual activity of, of rock climbing. Did I understand you correctly?
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we've, over the last five years, we have done some work with, you know, um, organizations, uh, with uh, a veterans charity, uh, you know, organizations outside of climbing, you know? So, so yeah, we're moving in that direction. And one thing I think that's been really transformative, you know, for me over the last several years is in building this team, uh, the warrior's way has become more about the warrior's way and less about me, you know, because I've learned a lot from the trainers that we have, um, that I've trained, you know, to build this network. Uh, and so now as a team, we get a lot of different ideas about what to do, not only in how to subtly refine the material, but, uh, you know, how to create new curriculum, uh, how to you know take our mission you know globally things like that. Uh, yeah. So I really like the it, that it's taken the focus off of me as an individual. In in a lot of ways, you know, my ego can be threatened by that. But in other ways, you know, be, I feel a shared responsibility for the company mission.
1: Yeah, it's um, I, I feel quite similar. Um, in, in a sense because at a certain point um, you're taking the fruition of what you have and you're, you're spreading it out for few, really for future generations mm-hmm. and and uh, not not to be too broad about that but um, you just know that you're not going to be there to deliver it. For me, that's quite vivid but I think I'm I think I'm about 10 years older than you if I had to guess but um, I'm 73.
0: Uh, 66.
1: Yeah, so I'm about right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's a time when you could pull in or really, uh, expand, but the vision is clearly not that, um, that if you, if you're 66 and you think, well, I'm going to be the Mick Jagger of whatever (laughs) you're in for a hard fall, (laughs) you know? So the idea of working with younger people, um, you know, passing along what you, what you've learned, um, and being part of a chain, you know, in, in, you know, in Buddhism, we have the lineage idea and goes, goes back thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's really refreshing because I'm kind of—I think of myself as a lazy person, essentially. So the idea that I don't have to make up a whole philosophy and trip is is easier for me. I just have to voice it because you know we say Buddha's uh, teachings were perfectly uh, expressed. There's there's mm-hmm. a sense somebody actually framed it out in a way that is just completely cohesive. Uh, doesn't mean you can ride on the coattails. Because yeah. it's also saying you got to cook the bread each generation. Uh, but that's interesting to hear you say that, and um, I, I'm resonating with it. Um, mm-hmm. What's the name of your new book? What is that going to be called?
0: Well, you know, the, uh, I want to you know, find a publisher for it, and typically the publisher is going to want to you know, determine the title. But uh, the title that I think the book needs to have is The Warrior's Way. You know, and it, you know, it, it could be, I think, useful for listeners to understand how we're approaching this term "warrior," like in and mm. how the Shambhala tradition, you know, understand it. Like, uh, we can think of warriors as being very violent and fighting. Sure. Uh, and that's that's one way of of looking at it and understanding it. And, and there's some aspects of that that are relevant, so let me uh, share those. When we, when we think about the traditional role of warriors in society, they have a responsibility responsibility to move toward the threat, toward the enemy, toward the danger that we could simply call a stress, stressor to neutralize it, to protect the society. So, they're, they're trained to do that. So as individuals within society, we can take on this similar mindset in the kind of stressors that we experience ourselves. We can, uh, whenever a stressor comes, something unexpected, uh, a challenge, instead of like shirking away from it, we can actually move toward it and engage it. Now, that's you know drawing uh, that part from the typical traditional warrior that we understand that protects society. Now, when we actually start uh, engaging that stressor, it's more like what you were saying before, this gentleness part, it's like we don't force our way through, mm. we actually find a way to blend OK, we uh, in which is not like a wishy washy kind of approach. It's actually has a lot of strength and resilience because just like in the climbing metaphor. And uh, let me point out in the climbing metaphor, there are three components. We have a goal that we at the like the top of the climb where we we want to arrive at. Uh, our motivation tends to be comfort based so having a goal we can point our motivation the desire for comfort toward it instead of not getting on the climb and just staying in our comfort zone on the ground <laughs> then <laughs> right and then That's when we are on, one yeah
1: yeah
0: it, well it's what can happen if we yeah. don't have inspiring goals sure now once we step off the ground onto the rock we value the work that we're doing for its own sake okay we we in other words we blend with the rock using looking for the easiest way to climb going toward something inspiring so we're going to be going through stressful situations But we do it in this self compassionate way, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable so we can learn, adapt ourselves to the rock, ourselves to the external situation, so we can blend with it and work with it instead of forcing our way through it. Because before, remember, we talked about this illusion of separateness and this continuing continuum toward interconnectedness. When we're climbing, like, we need to get into some kind of a blended flow state with the medium that we're engaging, right? Parts need to come together into a whole that is more than the sum of the parts. You know, climber and climb come together to create, you know, a beautiful performance. Just like people talk about the dancer and the dance, you can't distinguish the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it is, has this gentleness component Where we're paying attention, what's different? How can I blend with what's different so that I can bring disparate parts together to create something bigger and better?
1: So, the warrior tradition, you know, obviously it has a martial element to it, it has a protector element. For example, again, buddhism there's protectors they're not they're not peaceful they're called wrathful and but they're it's not it's it's supposed to be differentiable from just ordinary garden variety anger and aggression it's a protection Mm -hmm. principle and it manifests whenever you move towards um expressing anything authentic the protectors kind of get they peek in on you you know just is this going to be genuine is this going to be for real. Um, and then, you know, from that, you have the notion of uh, art of war, which I'm sure you've read and studied. Have you?
0: I have. This one's a, I'm not sure it, about studied, but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I've read it a few times.
1: <laughs> yeah. And um, <clears throat> so the notion of protecting and engaging with a peaceful kind of and humble, as you said, humility is so rare in this world. At this time, isn't it? It's really. Do you see many examples of that?
0: I, I think that um, I'm seeing it more. Oh, I think I'm seeing it more. But yeah, it. it (laughs) Like my grandmother used to say,
1: "From your mouth to God's ear," you know. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm happy to hear you say that.
0: Yeah, um yeah, it's uh I, I see more and more um people even in the climbing industry, you know, doing more mental training, you know, mindfulness, you know, and even like the the flow state, like businesses, Google and so forth, they're talking about the importance of you know helping their st- their employees get into like a flow state that's different than what an athlete might experience, but it's similar. They're still mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. in flow with the situation that they're engaging at work, being creative or productive. Uh, so, so I think it's changing. Uh, there's there's more awareness around it, and I think there's more movement in that direction.
1: Uh, very encouraging to hear you say that because I think we're at a time when you could, I personally pivot between that perspective and also, you know, friends and allies who are working from that perspective and a, a kind of feeling that we're plummeting into a darker time where there's less, there's less access to those kind of, um, um, uh, you know, spiritually based approach towards worldly living and, and, um, a lot of greed, aggression, that kind of, that kind of stuff, really spiraling into a kind of hurricane of, of of dark energy. So you can see both, I guess, right?
0: Well, remember, hurricane has a, a calm eye in the middle. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and and also consider that, like, uh, if we just look at, we can look at a rock climb, or we can look like uh, at a a difficult situation that we have in our lives. It might be a divorce or or it might be, you know, a death of a loved one or a friend. Mm. Um, those kinds of traumatic events can transform us.
3: Mm.
0: And I mean, I don't want to you know make a lot of conjecture here, but our world is going through what seems like a lot of conflict, you know, mm. with climate change and everything a lot of uh, polarization in, you know, our politics and so forth. Uh, but it seems like it's also moving us, you know, toward maybe uh, more people getting into the center of that her- hurricane, you know, where there's some calmness uh, that can um, maybe carry us in, in a better direction.
1: You, you know, when when you're saying that it feels like it's coming from your core, Uh, oftentimes it feels like it might be coming from somebody's uh, kind of wish or desire or, you know, aspiration. It really, it really feels like it's coming from your core. It's quite powerful.
0: Yeah. I, I, I I believe that, like, I've witnessed it at a more micro level, you know, in, you know, my own life and in what we teach. And one, one thing that uh, I think it's, really helpful for understanding what's going on around us is to, you know, like be able to look at the macrocosm and get some insight into the microcosm, like my my own life, like look, look at what's going on in the world and see what's going on in my life. And then reverse that also, like what's going on, you know, in my life or how I'm teaching this material. Uh, and what does that reflect, you know, in the globe, you know, in mm-hmm. what's going on out there. Well, in climbing, like we're, we need stressors in order to learn. Well, if we, if we look at the, the macro level, the world is going through some real stressors right now. Well, maybe we need that collectively to learn. Uh, so I think that can actually move us in a more helpful direction.
1: Uh. Uh. It's just, it's, it, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people. It's just, uh, it, it's wonderful to hear that perspective coming from straight from the heart, and the way that it is coming from you. And I think um, it's up for grabs. I feel like we're sort of at a quantum moment in a way where people are, mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons the Shambhala teachings emanated, they came out as um, what's called termo or treasure teachings, was we need them. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, obviously going to depend on human beings to um, manifest great teachings in a way that's um, authentic and compassionate. And that's not always a given. Everybody's working and
0: accessible.
1: Well, accessible is my middle name. I I, I like accessible. (laughs) I like pop music. I like things that get to broader ranges of people, which I think you're about to do. That's what I'm hearing you say is that you're trying to cross over from a niche into a kind of broader a, a broader access point into the culture. Is that, am I getting that right?
0: Yes. And, uh, you know, one of the guiding principles that I had in developing the material to this point was that it needs to be practical. Like, mm-hmm. Tell me what to do on the rock. <laughs> you know, don't fill my head with a bunch of philosophy. Well, we've got philosophy behind this material also. Right. There are certain concepts and that uh, we can investigate, but, uh, but we need to have like very tangible practical tools in applying it to the rock climb. And so we're taking the same approach for applying it to life. Like the, the simple aspects of the climbing metaphor. Why aren't you moving your life in a direction that you that's meaningful? Well, right. do you have an inspiring goal, you know, and do you, Are you pointing your motivation in that direction? Are you valuing the work that you're doing that's taking you there? You know, so uh, those are, you know, very tangible, practical things that we can do to, you know, start moving. Well, start doing our mental training, really.
1: Well, so would it be possible, I mean, in, in the framework of what you're talking about to the rock warriors guide to business, to, to, Family to friendships, uh, to e- even um, things like entertainment. You know, one of the things about entertainment is Tom Cruise used to say: it's not a lot of it's not boring enough. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't slow the viewer down. It, it it kind of panders into our speed and and kind of uh, nervous energy. But um, and and so we were all watching kind of. Japanese movies and, you know, movies that have a more contemplative flavor to it. Um, is, there, is there a Rock Warrior's Guide to Business? that I, That's the one I'm seeing as like a home run.
0: Um,
1: and I don't know I how literal it's... you'd be about it, but, you know, just that that sense of like, could I take this into, like, I'm running a business right now. And some of the mm-hmm. things you're saying are really resonating. There's a lot of edge. There's danger. You got to look where you put your foot. Unexpected things come up. You're dealing with people and trusting people to, to you know, uh, protect your back and so forth. Could, is part of the new book going to be talking about stuff like that?
0: Uh, yes. Now, um, there, you know, there can be derivative works. I think, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Warrior's Way for business, for parenting, mm-hmm. for relationships. This the the book that I have this first draft on. I wanted it to be just a, a contain the material comprehensively, you know, at its foundation. Now, in it, I do have a chapter on relationships, ah. and we go into relationships with ourselves, relationships with our partner, uh, you now with our children, like parenting relationships at work, and with nature, with our world, you know? So, so yeah, looking and and giving some specific guidance in each of those areas so we can begin, like we talked about before, make, start making the shift towards seeing ourselves as relational rather than as a separate ego identity.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's something so great about it the way it's bubbling up uh, in the context you're in, because you're not pulling in, Uh, so much of arcane or traditional reference points it's very fresh feeling and you're just you're just talking about your own experience which has a tremendous um the grounding kind of quality to it i'm looking forward to uh to the warrior's way to business and uh relationships you're on your own that's the way i feel about relationships it's like I, i wrote a book called creativity spirituality and making a buck you know, yep. and it's sort of mixing those metaphors up. But I often say relationships—you're kind of on your own <laughs> because anybody who says claims to have expertise in that area is uh, is is um, potentially doing so at their own risk. You know.
0: The the relationships are like if if we if we see mental training as you know a shift toward this truer reality of the interconnected, interdependent way, relational way that we are, then relationships are really important. Uh, So it begins with the relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Like, uh, can we be still, get quiet, listen within, you know, and which is a lot of that work can bring us toward like what I mentioned uh, earlier, like our more an uh, understanding with our authentic self, like who we are at our core. And of course, from I think from a Buddhist perspective, that would be like, um, you know, our true self,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, it, you know, beyond, you know, the material reality that we experience with the body, you know. So getting an understanding of this relationship. So. uh one, one way that we kind of represent this um, relation relational reality in our training is we see that we live in two worlds okay uh, We can close our eyes and we direct attention inward toward our inner subjective reality and part of that we can is our body like we can, breathe relax expand our body have an expanded body posture so that we're not like crunching up and um physically manifesting a resistance toward wanting to engage stress and be be present in life so so we we can manifest that but also uh our internal reality is the immaterial it's like the uh, no thing, you know. It's like the void, right? You know mm. that the, the Buddhists would teach. It's it's the no thing, stillness and silence. There's no movement going on. So we need to um, understand that internal world, and you know, and we can do that through meditation and other kinds of practices. I do a little meditation. I do some some tai chi, you know, in the morning as a body awareness drill, you know. So that can help us with that. We also live in another world, which is our external world. And that's relational to our partner, you know, our children, our work, our, our nature. Uh, and so we we have practices where we say, okay, now open your eyes and like direct your attention. Don't let it dwell in your mind. Direct the flow of your attention out of your mind through your senses specifically like what you can feel like your connection on your skin which is sort of a a, you might say a tangible barrier between how you understand yourself at in a material way and in the external world so you, you you feel the wind blowing on your skin or the clothing on your skin feel that connection what you can hear and then what you can see but what you can see with what I call a warrior gaze, which is more of a soft eye peripheral gaze. So you're, you're taking in your whole field of view, uh, which tends to relax you and also diminish like internal dialogue. Not that you're ever gonna get rid of it, but it'll tend to diminish uh, emphasis on it. <clears throat>
1: Excellent. So good, and uh, if you need help uh, with any of it, I'd be happy to help you with any of it.
0: Uh, I'd I'd love to talk more about uh, with you about it. You know, it's like I'm excited about the material. You know, it's oh just, yeah, uh, you know, and w- one thing I'm really excited about is like it. it and it, it it does like speak to. Uh, by Rinpoche's work, you know, it's like, you know, in here, you know, it says, like, um, the warrior is one who is brave, uh-huh. uh, that's what he says in the book, and uh, just like specifically, it's like, warriorship is not being afraid of yourself, yeah. You know, and then another spot he says uh, the point of worship is to work personally with our situation now as it is. Mm. That's exactly what we find it's really important to do. Like, can you accept the situation as it is, and from that baseline, start moving it in in the direction that you can learn and you know do this self inquiry work
1: yeah well it 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 it's expanding it's so cohe um, coherent with um as you say with these other warrior traditions feeding into it but there's a new there's a freshness in terms of coming into our culture our time um and finding ways to communicate with people about it so uh is there anything that you want to let people know about your current work or how they could reach you or you know um, any any thought you want to Implant Inception style into their brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you know.
1: If you could just say a secret thing, and then they just they don't remember they heard it, but they they're gonna be haunted by it.
0: Well, um, earlier we talked about you know like these um, warrior protectors, like mm-hmm. that they can be sort of violent. You might say that's kind of their job. They need to do physically engage, you know, and, and that might mean, I don't know, emotions of anger or or, just to move them to do what they need to do. Um, Well, there's one, one phrase that, uh, that we're, we use to kind of tie some things together in our training. And that is be alert as a warrior in enemy territory. (laughs) <laughs> okay, be alert as a warrior in enemy territory. And uh, it kind of comes from Yago Munenori, the 17th century samurai. And what's really uh, cool about Munenori is uh, his family lineage school was called the Life-Giving Sword School. So he found a balance between like using violence and using peace. Like he saw that, like, if you develop your skills, then uh, the very um existence of that can actually cause violence from happening. Like, people can maybe perceive that you're you're skilled and they better not mess with you, you know, at a mm-hmm. basic level. Uh, so in other words, when we develop our presence, you know, and we can stand our ground, so to speak, and be present for uh, the the conflict, then violence a lot of times is not even necessary. But Muninori also knew that sometimes you need it to be consequent and take action to neutralize a threat. Like
3: mm-hmm. we
0: have the concept of the, a need for boundaries, you know, so that we're not harmed physically, emotionally, or mentally, you know, so, uh, so finding a balance, you know, between, um, you know, the, well, the boundary and the balance between, you know, having this kind of a presence where you can be present and, and not have to be violent. You can actually stay engaged and connected to solve problems. That's primary. Uh, at the same time, you've got this boundary and you need to act when it's, when you're, when your life is threatened, you know, when, when that's needed.
1: Yeah, there's a, a sadhana we do. He acts whenever action is required, but it's inseparable from peacefulness.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But act whenever action is required. So, um, Arno, I, I can't thank you enough. And I'm also going to just give a shout out to Melissa Mattern, who is uh, our executive producer of the podcast and has uh, such a deep respect and affection for you. Um, and I see why. Thanks, now. Melissa. <laughs> yeah. So we give her a shout out. Um, and we'll, we'll include on our, uh, uh, on the printed, uh, aspect of, of the website, anything you want us to, in terms of how to, how to get in touch with people, but your website is.
0: That's warriorsway.com. Warriorsway.com. Easy enough. And, um, no
1: apostrophe, right? No. Okay. Warriorsway.com. Not,
0: not, not in the website. Though.
1: Right. Okay. <clears throat> in,
0: in the name. Yes. But, uh, and, uh, usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. You know. Very good. Yeah.
1: Well, well, we'll encourage people to reach out and um, explore the work that you're doing. And I'm personally interested in the next iteration of it. Sounds really uh, kind of uh, very uh, in, in, in sync and in harmony with a lot of the things that we're trying to do at Dharma Moon. So hopefully we can do some, some things together.
0: Yeah, sounds great, David. I really appreciate you inviting me today.
1: Thank you so much.
2: She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells sea... Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I was just practicing my enunciation for this voiceover so I could really do a great job on the closer. And let's be honest, you know, how many people really listen to the outro of a podcast? So I need to incentivize it somehow, even if it's with proper enunciation. So um, not to diminish the seriousness of of what was just said, but um, a sense of humor is also important on the spiritual journey. And we hope that this episode has been of some benefit to you. Um, I would just like to repeat... One of those nuggets on the end that David said, He is inseparable from peacefulness, and yet he acts whenever action is required. Insert whatever pronoun in there you would like and contemplate that one. Um, I think there's a lot in this episode that bears contemplation, and I'll probably be listening to it again. So that being said, thank you, one and all, for listening to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. We'd also like to send out a special thanks to our executive producer, Melissa Mattern. And we'd also like to thank Corey and everyone at the Be Here Now Network for having us on the network. If you'd like to support this podcast and find more content, please head to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash David. Also, if you can like or share our podcast or give us a review on any of your favorite podcasting platforms... It would really help us get the word out and support this podcast. So again, we appreciate your support and we wish you all the best. May you be happy, safe, healthy, and at ease. Until next time, be well.